We are going to be discussing autoimmune disease and how it plays a factor in your mental health. So we'll go ahead and start by simply, can you introduce what autoimmune disease you have? Yeah, so I actually have a couple of autoimmune diseases. I have fibromyalgia, which isn't technically an autoimmune disease. They kind of like go back and forth as to whether it is one or not, but um, it's like a neuro neurologic um, autonomic disorder. And um, it basically um, gives you, um, there's a lot of symptoms that come and go with fibromyalgia. Um, it's um, basically a widespread of pain. Your nervous system is damaged and um, it causes um, chronic fatigue and it causes a lot of stomach issues. It causes irritability, sleep issues. Um, I guess like um, my biggest two problems are um, muscle pain and chronic fatigue. And it, I have extreme anxiety from it. Um, so basically it includes your brain and your spinal cord and your brain can't send messages to your body that correct way so um messages get mixed up and mm -hmm. your um, body can't function the way that it normally should be able to function also have pots with it which let me pull up the pots is post-arthritic tachycardic syndrome and that is um so it's basically pots is like it's an issue with your blood rate um so like your bpm um shoots up really high or really low so like if i'm laying down and i stand up really quick it goes up to like 120 um beats per minute and mm -hmm. i have to lay down for like seven minutes for it for my blood to like re-regulate mm -hmm. so that causes um a lot of issues as well it's like a dis dysautonomic um disorder and i also have chronic fatigue syndrome so as we go through this interview, I'm going to probably have you kind of like break down each of those and sort of like how you went through being diagnosed. So do you want to start with the, the first one and kind of explain like, obviously you, you talked about the signs and symptoms already, but like what led to the diagnosis? What was that process like? Yeah. So basically I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia um, when I was... I think 15 or 16, I had um, a lot of really um, long physical ailments leading up to it. I would get really sick. I would get really tired. Everything made me sick. If anyone in the house got sick, I got it. Like my, um, my immune system is just like itty bitty. It, it mm -hmm. doesn't want to participate in my life in any way. And I, um, you know, I played a lot of sports when I was younger and I would just get sick and I would get tired and I was tired more than, the average person my age mm -hmm. and um my parents for about five years um ignored it and it was a very big problem in my family my parents are very work 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 and mm -hmm. I um was raised that way so I would just brush it off and ignore it and move on and um I think because I was so young they just thought oh she's having growing pains or oh, you know, she's just tired because she's growing or, oh, she's lazy because she doesn't want to go to school today. So it was put off for a really, really long time. And then when I was like 15 or 16, I, um, 
my dad had remarried at that point and my stepmom was a little bit more aware of my problems mm-hmm. and she took me to it got to the point where I just like I couldn't get up sometimes I would need help showering and so they took me to see a rheumatoid arthritis specialist and um I um, wasn't diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, um, so the doctor thought that it was fibromyalgia. So I went to a few other doctors, and basically when you go through the process of getting diagnosed with fibromyalgia, you are tested for absolutely everything in the book. They test you for lupus. They test you for uh, Lyme. They test you for um, so many other diseases just to make sure that it's not fibromyalgia. So basically fibromyalgia is the when it's not everything else, this is what you have um, kind of way of going about diagnosing it. So that's how I was. I, w- I finally ended up seeing a doctor, um, I think up north, who officially diagnosed me when I was 16, I believe. So this is just something that I have a question of. I'm, I don't know a lot about autoimmune disease. Do you think that the delay in getting diagnosed made your symptoms worse? Or is, it, is there sort of like a cap for like how bad an autoimmune disease can be? Like, can it be worsened without treatment? Yes. So... Everyone's autoimmune disease is different and everyone's body reacts differently. Like we can put 10 people in a room that have fibromyalgia and they can all have different symptoms at different severities at different times. Um, Everyone has different triggers um, and it can be brought on by um, emotional trauma, physical trauma, physical abuse. It Mm -hmm. um, can be brought on. It can just come on to you. Um, It's different for everyone. There's no like specific, this is what it is. And this is exactly how it goes. And this is how you're treated. Um, Everyone tries everything. I've tried pretty much everything under the sun um, as far as like treatment goes. And there is no cap. Like I've had a flare up that lasted nine months. I've had a flare up that lasted a couple of days. Sometimes they last a month. Um, Sometimes one flare up will trigger another flare up. So um, there is no cap, but um, there is no perfect guideline for it either. Okay. I have a couple of follow-up questions just off of that. And if you don't have to answer this, if you don't want to, but um just since you're you're saying that like it it can be triggered by a variety of different things have you and like the medical professionals you've worked with identified what are triggers for you or is that still something you're discovering kind of like day to day so I between the ages of um I want to say 12 to 17 I was severely physically abused and um I'm totally okay with talking about it I'm very open about it because um I want to spread awareness and I want people to feel mm-hmm. like it's okay to talk about. It's okay to be open about. It's also okay not to, to talk about, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I always advocate for if you need to talk about it, talk about it. I think talking about it helps everyone, but I'm not going to force someone to talk about it. A yeah. lot of people get uncomfortable when I talk about it and I've kind of learned a process of reassuring people like I'm okay to talk about it. Um, yeah. And it's who I am and it's where I've come from. And it helps me explain my disease and what um, has made my disease, you know, grow 
in the way that it's grown. So, um, yeah, I was physically, mentally, sexually abused for a really long time. So, um, that was a really, really, that's kind of where it like ultimately triggered and brought everything. So, um, now if I'm having, um, you know, like if I'm in remission for a while, and then I can have like any kind of trigger a memory or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that or stress in and of itself, or, you know, there are so many triggers for it now, just because now I really like living with it and it's not dormant in my body. Wow. That's, that's really incredible that you shared that. I'm really grateful that you shared that story with me. I, I definitely agree with what you said about like it helping to talk about it, but also like how sometimes it doesn't help people to talk about it. I think it's just really important for people to communicate their boundaries. Yeah. The conversations can happen. So I think that they are very valuable for some people, like, do you know, for a lot of people, but for sure, some people to hear and be like, Oh, wow. Okay. Like I'm not alone. And now I can speak my truth as well. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for sharing that. So we were talking mostly about fibromyalgia. Hopefully I'm saying that right. (laughs) Learning new words today. Um, Do you want to go into the other autoimmune diseases, or are they pretty um, interconnected? Um, they're pretty interconnected. Interconnected. POTS is um, post-arthritic tachycardic um, syndrome. Is um, they kind of tie together? They kind of have a lot of um, similar um, symptoms. Um, post-arthritic is more of like just like the heart rate going up and down, mm-hmm. and um, but it causes all the same. Of fibromyalgia um, and you can have both at the same time and then chronic fatigue plays into also both of those so fibromyalgia is like my my big boy like my first gun you yeah know, what I identify most as I um, was actually just recently diagnosed with POTS so um, I'm still like in the journey of learning more and more about it I feel like I have a pretty good um, understanding of it but um, Mm -hmm. at the same time um, you learn something new every day when it comes to autoimmune disease. So you mentioned earlier in life that you you played sports but you were experiencing like the chronic fatigue and and things like that. Are you still able to be active or have you found it difficult because of like the reason your heart rate and things like that and the fatigue? Yeah so um, I do find it difficult to be active. I am um I go through fluctuations like um, there was uh, two years ago, I probably worked out four times a week, four to five times a week, two hours a day, every day. Um, and I was very good about it, but it was really hard on my body. Um, but I go through phases where I'm like, you know what, this is just regular. I'm sore. And this is fibromyalgia. I'm sore. And, um, and then now at this point right now, I've actually taken a year off of oh, excessive working out. Mm-hmm. Um, I find for me personally, um, a lot of people tell me, you know, drink celery juice and do yoga and have your good vibes. And I'm very much like against, I'm not against that for certain people, um, mm-hmm. but it's not um, a cure for me and it's not helpful to me. I mean, anytime I've ever done something soft, soft what people say like yoga um I've actually been in so much more physical pain than I do when I weight lift um so I go through seasons that was actually something that I was going to ask you about because when like with a little research that I did on autoimmune disease it comes up as what is called an invisible illness 
So it's something that's not often observable for people, which is something I can relate to with my own mental health and obsessive compulsive disorder, obviously very different categories of health, but it's, you're constantly finding yourself explaining and people, you know, giving you recommendation. It's like, yes, that's great, but (laughs) there's a bigger picture going on here. So I think it was important that you mentioned that because I feel like some people don't realize that what is feasible for some is not feasible for all. In the mental community, people with um, depression or anxiety, what might work for one person with depression might not work with another person with depression. I was um, actually having a conversation with someone the other night about um, severe anxiety symptoms because I was having Mm -hmm. a back and I have someone that I talk to and we talk to each other when we're having a struggle and mm-hmm. you know like yeah when I'm having a panic attack I can just like lay down for a little while and I'm okay and that doesn't work for me um mm-hmm. so you know it's like there are so many things like I I went to mental health there but like with fibromyalgia some things that work for pe- some people with fibromyalgia don't work with other people who have fibromyalgia yeah um, well, just since we're kind of already segued there naturally, let's go ahead and talk about some of the mental health components. I know that you mentioned to me um, prior to this that you had suffered from anxiety and depression, and you think that it's been fairly compounded by your diagnosis. So do you want to go into that? Like, what does that anxiety look like for you? What does that depression look like for you, since it is such an individual case-by-case basis? Yeah. So I have... Um anxiety and depression and I grew up in a home where mental illness was um uh my mom has bipolar disorder and she um she was unmedicated for a long time and had a lot of issues and my uh, I have a lot of family with mental health issues and I have all of my family does not talk about mental health um it's never been something that has been it took a very long time and for me to press very 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 hard about it for my family to be kind of open to talking about it so anyway with that being said I have severe anxiety um I am anxious on a day-to-day basis I go through um moments in time where I can be anxious for a really um long time for like a very heavy period and um, sometimes it's just like a little spark and it's like a panic attack and I can kind of segue my way out of it. But a lot of mm-hmm. times it's very um, encompassing and debilitating. Um, I wouldn't say that I am, I guess I don't want to use the term high functioning anxiety. I, my anxiety gets to where it, it really bags me down and I um, can't function when it goes on. And that... Um, it, 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 I kind of feel myself going in a cycle. Like when I have a fibromyalgia um, flare up that lasts mm-hmm. for too long, I watch people go through their everyday lives who are my age. Mm-hmm. And I look at that and I begin to get anxious that I'm missing out and that I'm not able to do those things. And then I start to feel sort of like a failure because I'm not able to do all of those things. And then that triggers this like cycle of depression. And it's just like, it becomes this like tornado of um, emotion, uh, physical pain, mental pain, failure, depression, you know, and it just, it's like this never ending cycle. And then I become obsessed with the thoughts and it's just like, um, it takes a lot to like come up and out of that. Yeah. So 
I, I can definitely relate to the cycle and definitely the impact that this productivity culture we have right now has on me. Um, I, I felt it like my, my entire life, truthfully, um, with my obsessive compulsive disorder, um, it definitely manifests in this obsessive need to like be productive all the time and like my self-worth being measured in my productivity. When I got my brain injury, that was kind of like my traumatic experience that had to kind of like I had to grow from and like alter my perspective on because that's exactly what happened. Like I didn't have the physical capability to like perform at that same level. And then it came back as like, you're a failure, like with everybody else doing everything that they're doing and you can't do that. And I would get really anxious and like panic Then I would get into a depression right after. So yes, I can um, definitely relate to that sort of cyclical nature of it all. Yes. Um, but I also liked how you mentioned this idea of like high functioning because mm -hmm. I feel like for me, a lot of people have no idea that I'm experiencing any sort of mental health. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think it's necessarily because I'm high functioning. I think it's just because I've built up a self-awareness where I know when I can go about a routine and when I have to step back and kind of like disappear in the world a little bit to kind of yeah. like take care of myself. Cause I, I would say that my anxiety definitely flares up and becomes episodic mm -hmm. almost in nature where it's like a consistent anxiety all the time, but then I'll have these flare ups where it's pretty debilitating and, I would say that I'm not functioning very well. And that's definitely something I'm going through right now where it's like, there's the few things in my life that I've been able to like squeeze in, but I have a very uh, low tolerance, I would say yeah. for like life right now before I start to get debilitated. So yeah. yeah, I could definitely relate to that. I grew up in a work hard, work long, don't stop. Um, environment and it took me a really really long time to say it's okay to say no it's okay to step back it's okay to rest it's okay mm -hmm. to um, turn down an extra job it's okay to turn down a little bit of money it's okay to turn down a night out with friends it's okay to turn um, these things down just because I'm not feeling good or mentally fit um, it I don't want to blame um, my parents for everything, but you know, my parents did have a very big role in my um, anxieties and the way that my brain works now as to like the conversations that I have with myself um, in the process. Like um, for example, um, I was told a lot that I was dramatic and that my anxiety was in my head and it wasn't mm -hmm. a physical thing. It was something that I could always be in control of. And obviously, as you know, it's not something that we can control. If, if I'm crying and someone says like, oh, stop crying, I can't just stop crying. If I'm upset, yeah. someone says, oh, no, don't be upset. I can't just not be upset. Yeah. It's um, you know what you know, but you feel what you feel. It's, I'm a very strong advocate of that. And um, you can step into it and you can step out of it and you have to be okay with whichever choice um, that you make. And I am still learning day to day how to deal with the guilt of the choice that I make on a daily basis. I, I relate to that so much right now, like so much. I just had a conversation about that where, um, so for me, without going too much into like the pandemic specifically, but the pandemic was a huge trigger for my OCD, like in a way that I didn't expect. Um, I was diagnosed when I was nine. So I've had it for a very long time. I've learned how to cope. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. But just, again, I kind of understand myself and know when 
I need to be private and when I can be out in the world and sort of control my symptoms that way. Um, but just with the pandemic, I just got super triggered. And that's how I've been feeling that like constant guilt cycle of like, having everything is a choice. Like, like I was talking to my cousin yesterday, I saw him for the first time in probably almost three months. Um, and he asked me how I was doing. And I, and I was like, it kind of depends on who you ask. <laughs> like, I think I'm doing really well right now. But to the person next to me, I'm probably not doing that great. Um, but yeah, it's just like every single thing that I do, I kind of look at it like a, as a choice. And it's like, whatever choice I make, I have to live with that. But it's hard because some of the choices that I make don't make sense to other people. Right. Exactly. So it's, it's that guilt of being like, okay, I, I made the choice to leave today because I felt like I couldn't handle any more exposure today. I've done enough exposure for the day. But then I feel guilty where it's like, okay, well, they're all, you know, having a barbecue without me because I chose to leave. So right. it's just kind of like trying like, to find that peace with myself and understand like, I know myself, this is not my fault. This is like an actual disorder. And, I, and I'm not going to push myself to the breaking point. Like I've done my work for the day and I'm going to go home. <laughs> like my exposure therapy for the day. They don't have to understand why I'm going home. That is like yeah. my biggest thing. I don't have to explain why I'm going home. I can if yeah. I want to, which for the most part, I'm pretty open. Like I'm yeah. like, hey, I'm having a fibromyalgia flare up. I need to go home. Hey, I'm having really bad anxiety. I need to go home. And mm -hmm. I'm very lucky to have a super wonderful partner in that sense. Um, he is my wingman. He is like my guardian angel. Um, uh, and he really helps me in social situations and in all situations, I guess. Yeah. Um, like help advocate for you. Yes. Like uh, advocate for me and advocate for me to other people and to myself. You know, like when I'm feeling it, um, that extra guilt and I'm like, man, I feel so horrible. Like I need to clean or I'm feeling so horrible, but we need to go see these people or oh, I'm feeling mm -hmm. so horrible. He's very reassuring. Um, he's like, you know what? Just take the day. You know what? Yeah. Just take a couple of days, even though it didn't happen yesterday, that doesn't mean it has to happen today. Just because you felt good yesterday doesn't mean you're going to feel good today. Just because you look good doesn't mean that you feel good. And it took us a couple of years to navigate that, but mm -hmm. he has a very um, full understanding of um, who I am. And it's not always perfect. It's always, you know, struggle, just like every relationship yeah. is it's like that extra, you know, um, thing to deal with. Um, but I am very lucky to now have a partner who is very, um, helpful in that sense because it has ruined a lot of relationships and friendships for me yeah. I think that's really powerful that he has an understanding of it being very day by day yeah um I've had a couple situations um in the past couple months where it's like I have a really strong day and I'll be like okay I'm gonna you know we can go drive the PCH and you know see the ocean and, and kind of like go out and explore which is something very hard for me to do right now yeah um and then I'll wake up the next day and I'm not as strong. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, sometimes people are like, well, you just did that yesterday. And this is nothing compared to that. This is, you know, way less of exposure, but it's, it's sort of like when I, when I do the exposure, there's a certain amount of mental exhaustion that goes with it because I'm having to self-talk and I'm having to, you know, go through that mental process to be okay. And like 
keep my anxiety down. And yeah. then I wake up the next day and I'm tired. So it's like, I don't, my tolerance goes down for certain things. So right. it's really, really powerful that he understands that it definitely is day to day. And like, did you, how well did you sleep? What have you been eating? You know, all of these things play a role. Like, are there other extenuating circumstances and factors in your life that could be influencing how you're feeling and, and things like that? Um, and I also really liked how you mentioned the logic versus how you're feeling. Yeah. And I also think that's really important that people forget. Like, when, when you're having anxiety or depression or any sort of mental health disorder, you don't lose your sense of logic. Mm -hmm. You're just overpowered by a feeling. Right. Because there's chemicals that are flooding, flooding your brain that are giving you this feeling and it's sometimes impossible to combat those chemicals, like if you get so far into it. Mm -hmm. So that's really important because there have been times like when I've been like, I logically understand yeah. that this is not an issue. It doesn't change the fact that my body is physically shaking right now because I'm, my, my brain is misfiring and telling me that I'm in danger when I'm not. Right. So it's just kind of that fight or flight like, response fires off when, you know, yeah. you need to. Um, yeah. Yeah, I totally, I totally understand that. I, I heard you mentioned earlier a little bit about um, previous relationships kind of falling apart as a result of um, your autoimmune diseases and your mental health. Do, do you want to go into that a little bit? You don't have to be super specific, but just kind of like um, explain how it has impacted previous relationships. It could be with friends and, you know, coworkers, romantic, and just all kinds of relationships. Um, I have had a, um, I have lost in relationships and I have lost in friendships as far as, um, my disease and my mental health goes. I have had relationship, I've only had a few relationships, but I have had, as far as romantic relationships, I have had someone, um, outwardly reject me because I have, um, an autoimmune disease, you know, we were in the first stages of dating and, um, they said, you know, I can't date you because I don't think that I can handle it, which I 100% respect. I am so grateful for, I am still friends with this person to this day. Um, I think that mm -hmm. that was the best thing that that person could have done for me at that time, because they said, Hey, this is my boundary. And yeah. I handle it. I don't want to get into a relationship with you and not be able to handle it. And that was um, by far the best experience that I've had. I've also had friendships who, um, when I'm in the hospital, um, try to exploit my disease in a way that um, I'm in the hospital and they show themselves on social media trying, like coming to the hospital and basically saying like, I'm doing super awesome things for this person. And then turn around and say that my, my disease is too much for them to handle and they can't be friends with me anymore. Um, I've had so basically like making them look like some empathetic person on social media. Yeah. They're not putting in any of the work in the friendship. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And that friendship ended very abruptly after that had happened i've had people distance themselves with me or i've had people say like oh you know you were fine yesterday but you're you're not fine today like you know what's the what's the trouble i've had people in relationships like you know tell me i i dated someone for a short amount of time who didn't believe that anxiety was real um he would tell me that it was fake and that it was all in my head and that it wasn't a real thing. And um, we dated for a little while. And then he, I think, had some sort of anxiety on his own after we had 
you know, ended our courtship and um, it, it's dealing with people who just don't believe, you know, there are two types of people. There are people who believe in mental illness and there are people who don't believe in mental illness and yeah. or they believe that you have control over your mental illness in every aspect at every time of every day. It's, it's a very hard line um, and yeah. mental illness is a very gray area for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so is my physical ailments. It's a very gray area. It's all day by day and people want consistency. And I understand that people want consistency, but I can't give consistently. So I have to find, so I have someone who is consistently inconsistent with me. Totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, finding people who are okay with it. And I've lost mm -hmm. a lot of people who aren't okay with it and who people who have said that they aren't okay with it and people who have just totally stopped hanging out with me and totally gone like the disrespectful way about it but no one's perfect and I can't I get it you know yeah. it's hard it's hard to deal with it as myself I wouldn't mm -hmm. choose to deal with it you know yeah uh, so I have to respect that but I think that there's a way to go about it for sure I feel like a lot of people too take some of the sort of like consequences of somebody's anxiety as like an insult on them. I've had issues in the past where um, when I got into a really serious bout of depression, it, it, people would reach out in the beginning, but the moment that I was, you know, in the very deep depths of the depression and having a hard time, you know, maintaining conversations because my sleep schedule was super irregular or like getting out of the house that as soon as it became too much work, it was almost like, oh, they just kind of forgot about me and the dynamic just moved on. Um, and I've had people in the past where it was like, they would say like, oh, you're, you're just so flaky. You are always flaking. Mm -hmm. And I would be sitting there kind of having a moment where it's like, oh, I thought I was doing really well this week. Oh, that's, that's disappointing. Now that's how I'm being, you know, interpreted. Um, especially like when you know yourself and like your history, like there have been times in my adult life where people are, you know, kind of without realizing it kind of criticizing my ability to cope. Yes. And I'm like, wow, if you knew me 10 years ago, like this would be like, mm -hmm. you'd be like appalled. Like I'm doing great right now. <laughs> this is, you think that this is bad. Just, yeah, yeah this is great. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's hard too. Like I've had experiences with certain people where, I mean, I, I've been lucky to have like great friends, but where I have to almost go down memory lane with people right. for them to get it. Like if they didn't see me at my worst, like they, they just don't, they just assume it's not a thing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, oh, like, do I really have to like, just go out in public and have a full blown panic attack for somebody to believe me? Right right. Like, I'm trying to do you all a favor and keep it private. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you need to come into my house when you see it's disgusting and I have four bowls and I haven't yeah. gotten bed and probably haven't showered in four days and I'm throwing up and like having a panic attack do you, is that what you need to see for yeah. you to believe that I'm sick like it's just like you don't want it you don't want me to see you when you're sick like you know I, I'm being vulnerable and letting you see me when I'm sick and uh, even though I'm sick all the time but you know it's it's sh we're showing the vulnerable parts of ourselves all the time and people I think um, don't understand that, you know, it's easier for someone without um, mental health illness or physical illness to um, hide their not so good days. And it's harder for us to, to hide. So we and then we get to the point where we just don't want to hide anymore. And yeah, because that in itself is work. I mean, that 
yeah. there are things that you have to do to get yourself to that place where it's not outwardly visible. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, and there are certain points where you're like, I just don't have it in me to do that. So I'm just going to stay home. And then that's where people get that idea of like, oh, you're flaky or like, you never want to commit to plans. Because that's something with me that I have a really hard time. I have a hard time committing to things. It, and I want people to like hang out with me. Like I tell them, I was like, I want to hang out with you. Like, you know, hold me accountable. But at the same time, like, like, I don't want to like 100% commit to something like weeks and weeks in advance. because I don't know how I'm going to be feeling. And then that's going to be me feeling guilty where it's like, oh, you, you reserved this day for me. And now what are you going to do with your day? Like, exactly. Yeah. And stuff like that. So it's just kind of like finding that fine line. Like we, we share a mutual friend, Alexis, and that's, she's very good about it. Like with me, she'll be like, I'm coming over on Wednesday. I'll be like, but I don't know how I'm going to feel. And she's like, well, if you're feeling bad, I'll wave at you through the window, then I'll go home. <laughs> like, it's just like that willingness to kind of like compromise and like give that peace of mind so the anxiety doesn't flare up super badly, but also like not allowing you to avoid at the point where it's detrimental to you. There should be a Alexis's, everyone should have an Alexis in their life. Oh, for <laughs> sure. For sure. So can I ask you a little bit about, um, what it looks like. I know you've, you've kind of gone into this a little bit, but I kind of want to talk about th three sort of pieces here. Um, what does it look like when you're having um, a flare up specifically with your autoimmune disease? Um, second part, like how does your anxiety manifest and how does your depression manifest? So it's kind of like three part question and you've sort of delved into it a little bit, but I kind of want to get like super specific for the audience that might not know specifically how these manifest in people's lives. Yeah. So um, a lot of times with my fibromyalgia specifically, um, because I've had it for like 15 years, mm -hmm. I feel it. I feel it creeping up. I feel it. Um, I kind of know ahead of time, um, okay, I'm probably going to flare up in a couple of days. Um, mm -hmm. The weather will be triggering when I know, and I'll feel it and I'll be like, oh, it's probably going to rain in a few days and I'll check the weather and it's going to rain. Um, uh, so basically, I, it, it, it depends on when it starts. Um, a lot of moments, it's very hard for me in the morning. I wake up and I'm in an extreme amount of pain. It's like being, um, okay, imagine if you had the flu when mm -hmm. your skin hurts and you're sweating yeah. and um, you're achy and your stomach hurts. Um, it's like feeling all of that plus having just had worked out really hard mm -hmm. and, um, and the brain fog that comes with it. It's like, um, I, it, I almost feel dyslexic a lot of times. Like I have a word in my mind, but I can't get it out. I have a sentence in my mind, but I can't get it out. I have an emotion I want to express, but I can't get it out. And, um, it's like the brain the thought that I'm having in my brain won't send the message correctly to my body. So um, there are, um, I've learned to be very gracious with myself and mm -hmm. open with my partner. Um, I know when I'm not feeling good, I will wake up and say today is this day. And um, if you're in the chronic illness world, you heard, you may or may not have heard of the Spoonie um, term it's like how many spoons do you have in your hand so if you, you go to your drawer in the kitchen and mm -hmm. i have five spoons let me let me do it because i have more knives than i have spoons <laughs> so i have one two three four five six seven knives in my hand okay. okay so i wake up 
on a good day with um, seven knives in my hand. Mm -hmm. I can get up and do my hair. I can get up and do my makeup. I can do um, some laundry. I can make my bed. I can go to the store. I can clean my bathroom. I can do some homework. I can, you know, I have an excess of knives. I have an excess of energy on mm -hmm. a good day. Um, on a bad day, I have as low as one knife. I can get up and I can eat and I can go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. On, you know, like a medium day, I can get up, I can go for a drive, I can go to the store, I can make dinner, but I can't clean up after dinner. Um, I can't shower and make dinner. I can't, you know, you have to pick. So when you wake yeah. up, you kind of um, assess how many tasks you have for the day. And when you, um, when you have had it for so long, you can assess how many tasks you are able to perform for that day or the length of the task or the mental emotion, like, you know, how much, how emotionally taxing it is for mm -hmm. the day. You can pick and choose what that you can do for that day. Am I going to clean today? Am I going to cook today? Am I going to shower today? Am I going to do all of it today? Or am I going to do none of it today? Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I take day by day. How many spoons do you have today? And, um, like I, I, I'm very vocal with my partner, Kevin, about it. This is how much I have today. And we'll be out for, we were out for our drive yesterday and we got halfway through the drive and I drained. I was out, I was done. And mm -hmm. he watched it happen and he looks over at me and he says, did you just run out of spoons? And I'm like, honestly, I did, I'm done for the day. And he's yeah. so kind and so giving and he's like, okay, we'll go home, we'll put on the TV, I'll grab a dinner and we'll lay down for the night. And that was, that was my night, you know, that mm -hmm. I woke up, I went for a drive, I went home and I got food and I went to bed. And that mm -hmm. was how many spoons that I had yesterday. Today I have more, you know, I, I can do this with you. I can do class. Mm -hmm. I um, will probably make some dinner and then I will probably rest after that. But I'm not going to push myself and clean all day long. Um, yeah. I cleaned a couple of days ago, you know, it's um, sorting out what you have with what you have and being smart about it and trying to do my best with it. Yeah. So that's how I kind of take my day by day. And then you said, sorry, I'm talking for a very long time. No, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm like surprised that you're able to like <laughs> remember my questions. I'm like, I'm giving you too many at once. Uh, the next thing I was thinking was if you wanted to go into like how your anxiety manifests, yep. like what um, specific symptoms that may or may not be overlapping i know a lot of a lot of these um disorders can and diseases can overlap in symptoms but um are there any that are like specifically unique to your anxiety yeah so for my anxiety i um my heart rate is what like fuels my anxiety more than anything it's very my anxiety is um probably 65 to 70 percent physical and 35 to 40 percent mental um okay. It, that's where the POTS comes in to play. Yeah. Um, so that is almost a trigger for your anxiety because your yeah. heart rate goes up. Yes. And I'm sure that in a way is sending a signal to your brain. I mean, like, yeah. it's all interconnected where your heart rate usually is fast when there's like a threat. 
So yeah. it's probably telling your brain like, oh, there's a threat. And that's sparking that anxiety. Right. That fight or flight, like, hi, you're having a panic attack. But then I'm like, why am I having a panic attack? And I assess myself, I assess my surroundings, I assess my tasks. And I'm like, is this a physical panic attack? Or is it a mental panic attack? Mm -hmm. And depending on which one it is, is that's where I learn to navigate. Um, I have a, a extremely wonderful doctor. Mm -hmm. um, who has helped me identify um, which is which, and um, if I need to take a medication with one, or if I can self-soothe with one. And um, I'm very open about the fact that I do take medication to help my symptoms and to ease my symptoms, because um, I think that you don't have to naturally um, soothe yourself every single time. I think that sometimes your body can't and your mind can't and sometimes you need help and that's okay. And it's okay to, to be okay with it. And it's not, it's not, uh, you know, the worst thing in the world to get help and to receive the help that you can't provide for yourself. I think it's really important for people to realize too, like, there are kind of consequences sometimes to going through that anxiety and that panic attack. Like there have been times when, yes, I cope with it on my own. I was able to calm myself down and do all the right steps, but it takes work. And then your body is going to have another reaction. So for me, sometimes like I I've explained to people that I can cope with it and I can take all those steps, but it, the, yeah. it, the anxiety is like an energy that has to go somewhere. And if it doesn't go outward in the form of a panic attack or maybe like irritability or however it's going to present itself, it's going to kind of attack you from inside. Right. And I noticed for myself, like on the days that I'm like, I coped really well today, I've learned I'm like, that might not necessarily be a good thing because then I go to sleep and I have, I have like insomnia or sleep irregularities. Um, I, I suffer from sleep paralysis, which can be a very painful experience for people. Um, so it's, it's kind of like, for you, especially, I feel like it's it's great that you come to that point where you can take a medication when needed because right. you already have other health ailments. Like, you don't need to add more struggle later on on your body than is necessary. Right. Like if You I, can simply get the chemicals in check. Yeah. Like, if, I have a, if I'm having a panic attack um, and I try to completely self-soothe every time, I'm going to give myself a fibromyalgia flare-up for sure. Exactly. Exactly. And that, makes, that makes total sense to me, personally. I know not everybody understands that, but... If I were in your situation and I had a physical ailment on top of it, I would be thinking about that because for me, usually like after I, you know, whether it's a panic attack, however I process it, there's other consequences. And sometimes when I have the panic attack, it puts me into a depressive episode and there's a bunch of other, you know, yep. other factors that are involved. And if you get into a depressive episode, that could then trigger your fibromyalgia and you're just kind of in this cycle constantly. Uh, an extended amount of time, you know, it could be a couple of days, it could be a week, it could be months, it, you know, um, I think it was four years ago, it was eight months for me, I had to quit my job and move out of my house and um, go back and move home. Because I couldn't, I could not figure out what was going on. I couldn't take care of myself. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't um, function. And um, so I spent a lot of time at home. And um, basically, I, went, I think I was 21, and I took that time in those eight months, and I was very gracious to have family take me in um, and give me that time to figure out 
what works for me and what doesn't mm -hmm. work for me. I guess that kind of dives into like the treatment options for each person. And yeah. you know, I um, spent eight months figuring out exactly what works and exactly what doesn't. And do you uh, want to go into that a little bit? I know you've talked about part of your treatment plan. You talk to medical professionals, you occasionally will use medication if needed. Um, what other components are a part of your treatment plan, whether it's directly from a medical professional or it's just things that you've learned, practices you put in place, self-care, things of that yeah. nature? So um, for um, my fibromyalgia, I have done everything in the book. I have done um, upper cervical chiropractic work. I've done laser work. I've done um, food mapping. I have done counseling. I have done, um, the only thing I haven't tried is acupuncture, which I do want to try, but I just want to <laughs> I've gone to like massage therapy. I've done physical therapy. I have, I have done it all. Um, my um, easiest thing to follow would probably be the food mapping. Um, I spent eight months food mapping and basically what food mapping is for those who are listening and don't know, um, you eliminate um, a large amount of foods from your diet and mm -hmm. let your body um, get rid of those. Like, you know, you built up, I've built up like an addiction to sugar or gluten or um, mm -hmm. you know, things that are in my body that are um, causing flare ups and inflammation. And I took um, as two months and didn't eat any of it, none of mm -hmm. it. And it was the worst two months of my life. I've never been a grumpier person. I was literally, mm -hmm. my body was going through withdrawals. Yeah. yeah. You know, all of these things, medications I have been trying, gluten, sugar, dairy, all of it. And then slowly you reintroduce um, one food group into your body and watch how your body reacts to that food group. And you say, yep, this is okay. Or nope, this isn't okay. And then you yeah. go another one and you say, yep, this is okay. Or nope, this isn't okay. And you let that food go. And um, so I have learned what foods do and don't work for me. Um, I don't follow it super well all the time because sometimes I just want to eat that piece of cake. And sometimes I want to, you know, eat this deep fried this or I, you know, I let myself live. Um, and I learn like, okay, if I'm going to eat this, then this is how I'm going to feel later. I'm going to be okay with that. It goes back to those choices, like the choices you are and are not willing to make. And are you going to live with it? Right. And I I do similar things, not not for the same reason, but I have a lot of food allergies, which I didn't know for a very long time. And it kind of got to the point where um, I found it was like some, something is going on and I don't know what it is with what I'm eating or, and I got like blood work done and I had a bunch of food allergies and it's kind of the same process of like, oh, okay, got to completely change my livelihood around food. And you know, like that choice, is it worth the consequences I know are going to happen or, you know. And then I have, um, I've discovered like little things that help and little things that trigger. Uh, I have, you know, like a weighted blanket that I swear by for my anxiety. I've been wanting one. I, everyone that I talk to who is very open about mental health has said that that is yeah. super helpful. And I, and I kind of have done that for myself in a way where like I sleep with certain types of blankets that give me that, yeah. that feeling of a weighted blanket, but I never actually bought one. There's no like one. I like if you're not gonna buy yourself one, I'll buy one for you. Like there's, <laughs> yeah. I, I two nights ago I was having a panic attack, and I sometimes forget that I have a weighted blanket, even though it's like the best um, product that I have. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, I have a weighted blanket. Let me get it out, and I take it out and I put it over. If you put it over like the 
like the top this portion of your mm -hmm. body your your central nervous system and like put something weighted like I have a weighted um, head and neck um, pillow and then I have a weighted blanket and you put that over it and it suppresses your um, nervous system and um, it calms you down it slows your heart rate and it's like um, giving someone a really big hug for a really long time yeah it suppresses that nervous system and helps your body regulate itself and um, that helps me and I love that and um, I I have um, a really hard time sleeping. If you text me at any time of the day, I'm probably awake. Um, struggling <laughs> with sleeping. And, um, I think that that triggers a lot of my issues is I think sleep is a really huge thing. Um, same with me. I completely agree. So that's my mom. She's asking, how do you know what type of weight yeah. to get? Okay. I think she's thinking about getting me one. <laughs> so you take how much you weigh and you divide it by two. Okay. Um, so I weigh 130 pounds. I fluctuate from like 125 to 130 and my mm -hmm. blanket, I think is 60 pounds. Um, so, um, you can get different types. So, um, I have a really heavy one and then I have a really light one. So, um, it, it's different. You can have a couple of them and I have a couple mm -hmm. of them. the one that got me is the 10% of your body weight. And I use that one, um, more than any other one. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's, it's definitely on a list of things that I've been interested in. Yeah. Um, do you mind if I ask you a little kind of like sidebar question, just because as I was thinking about this weighted blanket concept, mm -hmm. um, I've noticed that like a lot of sensory things will help, um, with anxiety, but also I've had a history of like, when I'm in the middle of a panic attack, like people is people's instinct is to kind of like do something nurturing maybe like put their hand like you know like on your shoulder or your leg right like give you a hug and when I was growing up not not fairly recently but when I was growing up in like my teenage years I found physical touch very painful during a panic attack have yeah. you ever experienced that where it was like just like the muscle tension like from the shaking of your hands or your body was just like it was just too much stimulus yes yes so I have when I'm um, overly stimulated I shake my leg I'm one of those mm -hmm. Always moving, like I'm shake, shaking my leg. Kevin will laugh at me because we'll be in the truck and the truck will start shaking. <laughs> I'm over that sounds like me with my family. It's, exactly. it, whenever we sit on the couch and watch a movie, they're like, "Oh my gosh, you need your own separate <laughs> couch." Well, then I'd be like, "Is there an earthquake?" And I'm like, "No, it's me. You're fine." And <laughs> he'll touch me, and I feel like all of my senses are heightened. So mm -hmm. um, it it's painful. It's extremely painful. It, yeah. Um, I don't like to be, um, like lightly touched. Um, it's painful. Um, so I wonder if that was just a me thing or if that was like more common. Cause I don't feel like people talk about that very often. Super common. Um, I don't like to be like rubbed. That really bothers me. Um, sometimes if people give me like a little squeeze, depending on where it is, that's mm -hmm. okay. But I don't like the, like rubbing you know tapping that's like sensory again it's yeah. like it's i get super overstimulated yeah. and it's also uh very triggering for me mentally um uh i have a hard time with it and um when people um this life is amazing thank you ladies oh yay of course um when thanks people, sis <laughs> got like, a whole fan bam in here right now but that's amazing um people tapping 
is super, super, super triggering for me. I've never known why. Um, mm -hmm. I assume that it's something that I forgot from my childhood, but um, yeah, I'm immediately triggered like by um, a blinker in someone's car. Um, Kevin's blinker is super intense. So he'll like subconsciously put it on and he'll feel me get really, really tense and he'll mm -hmm. turn it off. And I'm like, <sighs> like, okay, it's okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know why we went from touching to that, but that made me think of that. But. No, I mean, it, it's it just interesting to think about it, because I feel like a lot of it could be simply just the anxiety. And then for you, some of it could be possibly like your past and, and right. things that maybe you don't fully have clarity on because, you know, your brain protects you from certain things. Um, but like, even for me, without having similar trauma, like I have experiences with certain, certain things, like I have a really hard time, just it's kind of weird, but um, like vacuum cleaners, toilets, yep. Um, when it's windy, I have a really hard time on windy days. Like, it's just, it's just the noise. Um, yep. and, and I, I don't know, like the intensity of it. Like, yep. I like the breeze. Like when I'm outside and it's breezy, it's like, oh, peaceful. I can get into a peaceful place. But the moment it turns into wind, it's like, oh, yep. <laughs> like, can this stop now? <laughs> I, when I first moved in with them, I have, um, extreme anxiety attacks. Um, when it's windy um i can't i can't handle it um i can't go outside i can't be in the wind i can't be anywhere it, i i'm anxiety all the way like gotta go get me out of here so i totally 100 percent understand the wind thing do you want to talk a little bit about um your depression and how it manifests for you i think most people have a fairly good understanding of depression but again it's still a very case-by-case -case basis yes um my trigger my depression comes and goes i'm very triggered by failure i think which is common is one of the more common um things yeah. and i'm very triggered by my physical ailments mm -hmm. um it's like a cycle. I get um, sick and can't do anything. And my partner works very, very hard. He works all day. He comes home. He works on his truck. He works on his bike. He works on the house. We just built this beautiful house. He mm -hmm. will go for a run. He's, he is very task oriented. And I love and respect that about him so much. But sometimes it makes me it kind of triggers my guilt because I'm like, yeah. dang, he is working so hard and I literally cannot do a single thing today. And sometimes when we go through times where um, I watch people work really hard for a really long time and I am unable to do things for an extended amount of time, I feel like a failure. And mm -hmm. then I feel like I mourn the life that I don't have. I think it's really important for people to take away from this that people who have, you know, autoimmune diseases or mental health disorders, like we already have enough guilt um, going on within ourselves that we don't need extra from right. outside sources. So it's just kind of learning to be um, empathetic. And if, if something is confusing or, you know, confounding to you, ask questions rather than judge. I'm super proud of you for doing this. Thank it's you. amazing that you shared your story. And um, I've learned a lot. So thank you for that.